Cancel 2020. That's it, folks. Roll up the tents, pack up your crap, and get out. 2020 has become the year of the coronavirus and nothing else. Now, the good news is you get to work from home. The bad news is you never get to see anyone else ever. The coronavirus has taken down event after event in the tech space and beyond. It's getting bad out there, but I'm going to help you through it. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Now, you'll notice a pattern throughout all of this week's news stories because in the world of tech and beyond, this is the week that shit started to get real for the U.S. In the non-tech space, President Trump closed the border to flights from Europe and gave a whole 48 hours notice for non-U.S. citizens to hightail it over to the old stars and stripes. Disneyland in California got shut down, though Disney World is still going strong because reasons. On a personal note, the U.S. Gymnastics Association canceled all meets in the month of March, mere days after my daughter competed in her state meet. It's starting to get real, folks, but you want to hear about tech, so let's go ahead and jump right in to the news of the week. You remember when Pluto got downgraded from a planet to... Whatever, not a planet? Well, guess what, folks? The Earth officially has two moons now. That's right. Sometime in the last 18 months, Earth's gravity grabbed onto a new rock about the size of a car. The new moon is called 2020 CD3, which is a less nice name than, you know, the moon. It's currently spinning around the planet in an elliptical orbit and will stick around for the next few weeks before calling that great Uber in the sky and heading off back into space. So what that means is, for the next few weeks, when you look up in the night sky, you won't see the moon, you'll see a moon. And that moon doesn't even have a name, which is really sad. Meanwhile, 2020 CD3 gets all the press, even though it won't even be around forever. It's shockingly unfair if you ask me, and I for one will miss 2020 CD3 when it leaves us. And this isn't even the only mini-moon we've ever had. Just over a decade ago, the Earth got another visitor called 2006 RH120, who hung around for almost two years before heading back out to sea. I mean, just when you think you've got a handle on all this space stuff, we go ahead and pick up a new moon. Well, at least it wasn't a space station. Twitter published new rules recently that would flag tweets showing manipulated media. Basically, anyone who published a video or a photo that had been doctored or cleverly edited, Twitter would let the public know as a way to fight misinformation on its platform. Well, those new rules have their first victim, and before I tell you who it is, I need to make sure you're sitting down and not operating a motor vehicle, because this is shocking. Like, I never wouldn't have imagined that this person could possibly do something like this. Please be sure you're ready for a surprise, because because this is completely crazy. Like, it's the last person that anyone would... Okay, it's Donald Trump. Trump, or rather Trump's social media team, edited a video of a Joe Biden speech suggesting that people vote for Donald Trump and posted that on Twitter. Now, technically Joe Biden did say all that stuff, but A, it was taken completely out of context, and B, Joe Biden is a goddamn idiot. And sadly, he's our best hope at removing the current idiot, and I don't want to get too political here, but let's face it, is one old rich white idiot any better than another old rich white idiot? I guess we'll find out in November, and God help us all. 
Privacy has been a key theme for these last couple of years, with Apple really doubling down on privacy for its users. And this week, we got a good look at why. One day, Google sent Zachary McCoy an email saying that police had requested his location data in connection to a crime. Zachary was like, um, what now? And Google advised that unless McCoy took Google to court to challenge the release of his information, Google would just go ahead and hand it over. Well, it turns out police were looking for suspects in a burglary case and had requested location data from Google of anyone who had been in proximity to the burglarized home during the time of the crime. From there, they flagged the data of anyone who looked suspicious and requested Google hand over the person's name and personal information. Now, it's Google's policy to follow up with that person first and let them know. Well, McCoy had ridden his bike by the house in question three times that day, but... It was for a bike ride, you know, for exercise. So McCoy challenged the data release, hiring a lawyer and costing a bunch of money. Now, there's more to this story, so check out the link in the show notes. But it just goes to show how unfettered access to even anonymized data can be quite problematic. Let's just pretend that McCoy doesn't have money for a lawyer. The police get his data and get a search warrant for his house to look for the stolen property. Four hours and five sliced open couch cushions later, they leave without so much as a sorry, bro. That's scary stuff, and the more I read about this, the more I'm rapidly changing my position on Google and data. Huawei invited media over to its house to play with its next flagship phone, the Huawei P40, but with one tiny little caveat. The media wasn't actually allowed to see the phone. Instead, they were invited to stick their hands into a box and feel the phone. And I'm not making this up. Huawei is so proud of the next phone it'll make that won't sell anywhere outside of China that they wouldn't let media see the thing. Now, I confess, I'm not a big enough deal to get invited to an event like this, but if I was, I would not stick my hand inside that box to blindly feel around a new phone. It's not because it's weird, although it really is. And it's not because it's a great way to spread germs, although it really is. And it's not because of any fear of sticking my hands where I can't see them, even though years of geocaching has taught me that's rarely a good idea. No, it's because this is ridiculous and stupid, plain and simple. I won't pander to Huawei's ego like that. Oh, come look at our awesome new phone. Oh, oh wait, no, don't look at it, just feel it. Uh, <clears throat> fuck you, Huawei. Call me when you're ready to actually show a product. Wired wrote a PSA to all computer users out there. It's actually a fairly good idea to completely reset your computer, which is to say wipe it out and start from scratch about once per year. In the four years I've had my MacBook, I did that once just prior to CES 2019, and I can confirm that it basically injected new life into the machine. One added benefit to my workflow, I do everything in the cloud, so I don't have to back anything up. Just reattach my cloud documents and reinstall some software, and I'm good to go. It's a beautiful thing. Reinstalling software is a bit of a pain in the butt, though, so there is that. But if your computer is starting to lag a little bit, you might want to consider that for yourself. Do Not Pay is a brilliant Chrome extension that you can use to share your username and password with friends and family without actually having to give them the username and password for a streaming service. This podcast not sponsored by Do Not Pay, but it could be. It's a free extension, and when you head to a site like Disney+, Plus, Netflix, or Amazon, you can click the extension and generate a share link. You send that link to a friend, and voila, they can log in and watch The Witcher alongside you. The only downside is that only you get the 
Netflix bill in that case. Personally, as a rule, I don't share subscription services with people except for my Netflix with my mom, and that's only because it's my mom, dude. Subscription services do tend to add up if you have Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and Disney Plus and Sling and okay, I need to stop before I start to get depressed. So if you want to share the love with someone you love, good for you. I won't judge. I just won't do it either. Google is reportedly working on a new version of the Chromecast, this time shipping with a full version of Android TV and remote. It seems that Google finally learned what we all knew, which is that Chromecasts, as they exist now, are confusing. What do you mean I have to use my phone to control the TV? You mean like a remote? No, not a remote, Dad. You just pull something up you want to watch on your phone and then you push this button. A button, so it's like a remote! Yeah, Dad, like a remote. Well, then why doesn't it work? And since Larry Page is sick of having that conversation with his dad, the next version of Chromecast might ship with a remote, putting it in line with the Roku and Amazon Fire TV streamers out there. Personally, I like this move. Even for me, who knows how to use a Chromecast, it's always been clunky AF. Casting is a great feature, though, and it should still be included, but you shouldn't have to use your phone to control things if you don't want to. I love this move, and yes, I know Larry Page isn't in Google anymore, but trust me, my Indian dad voice is not as good as my white guy dad voice. Pablo Escobar's brother, Roberto Escobar, recently put folding phones in his sights, and now he's selling them. First, he rebranded the Royal FlexPie as the Escobar Fold 1 for $400. Then he rebranded a Samsung Galaxy Fold as the Escobar Fold 2 and sold it for $400. The only problem is... Well, actually, there's a lot of problems here. Those phones sell for way more than $400, with the FlexPi sitting at around $1,500 and not even for sale yet, and the Galaxy Fold at the oddly specific price of $1,980. So the temptation to order these things is very high, and people have given in to that temptation. The problem there is... Most people aren't actually receiving the phones. There are whole Reddit threads dedicated to this. Spoiler alert, don't order one. But MKBHD did. He ordered a Fold 1 and a Fold 2, and then he heard nothing. Later, a representative contacted him about making a video about the phone if they shipped the order, and he's like, um, no, I gave you money, you give me a phone, that's how this works. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. So they, air quotes, upgraded his Fold 1 order to a Fold 2 and sent him the Fold 2. By the way, they never sent him anything for the original Fold 2 order. The Fold 2 is predictably a rebranded Galaxy Fold with gold leafing attached to the outside. MKBHD used a knife to scrape off the gold foil, and sure enough, there's the Samsung logo. So, just what the hell? MKBHD reasons, and I agree with this reasoning, that no one is getting shipped a fold unless it's ordered in the name of an influencer who might then make a video about it. The only problem for Escobar is MKBHD did make a video in which he told everyone, don't order one, it's a scam. I mean, personally, I didn't need an MKBHD video to tell me that, and I'm guessing you don't need a Benefit of a Doubt podcast episode to tell you that. So let's just all not and call it a day, shall we? 
The EU is starting to flex a little muscle here now that it's forcing the iPhone to switch to a USB Type-C charger. Now the EU wants phone makers to design their phones in such a way as to make them more reparable. The goal here is to reduce e-waste, which is a lot, a lot of waste. Making phones more reparable, making it easier to change the batteries, etc., can go a long way in prolonging the life of a device that typically gets tossed after just a couple of years. Also, the EU wants to make software more upgradable and, uh-oh, Android OEMs. The proposal stops short of requiring OEMs to update software for X amount of time, but a case could be made for requiring OEMs to unlock bootloaders after a phone reaches its end of life. That could be huge for the Android software community in general, allowing you to keep your phones going with the latest updates for a much longer time. Whether or not any of this will actually happen, and whether or not this will have impact outside the EU remains to be seen, but I'm starting to like the EU more and more of late. We talked on an earlier episode how Apple was looking at developing an ARM-based MacBook, and I cited the Surface Book X as a reason to, you know, not do that. Well, The Guardian really took its sweet time in coming out with a review for the Surface Pro X, and guess what? It came out with a review this week. Battery life and always-on connectivity were great, but you really couldn't do anything and the power just isn't there. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? I'm sure it does. For some reason, OEMs are trying to bring back what amounts to netbooks, but making them prettier and four or five times more expensive because you can get the 4Gs with it. And folks, that's not a good reason to do that. You can tether with your phone and get the same thing, but have a computer that can, you know, accomplish tasks. For everything else, there's iPads. There, I said it. So if you're excited about a new ARM-based anything, don't be. They're not there yet, and they probably won't be for quite some time. A Redditor asks the question, what are good inexpensive hobbies that you can learn in less than 14 days? And as always, my go-to answer on that is geocaching. If you're not familiar with geocaching, it's a worldwide location-based game played originally with devices called Global Positioning System Receivers and a website. These days, it's much more common to just download a free app. Basically, people all over the world hide little containers and post the latitude and longitude coordinates on a website. Others like me go out and find them. We sign the paper log to show that we were there, and if the container's big enough, maybe we can trade some items. It's a fun and cheap hobby, especially with the birth of smartphones, and yes, geocaching has been around a lot longer than the smartphone, if you can believe that. Geocaching will take you to neat places you might not have otherwise discovered on your own, Plus, whenever I'm booking a hotel out of town, I first make sure that it passes the geocaching test, which means that if there are no geocaches anywhere around the hotel, I won't stay there. Why? Because geocachers tend to avoid bad neighborhoods, just like the rest of us. So if no one puts a cache there, that means no one goes there. Try it sometime. You'll see what I'm talking about. Anyway, that's my suggestion. If you're sick of hearing about the coronavirus, trust me, so am I, but you are listening to the wrong podcast because here we are, and this is our top story of the week because this is the week that the WHO officially declared coronavirus a pandemic, meaning it's worldwide fun, no longer just localized fun. Before we get to our top story, there are a few pandemic news stories we need to cover first, so without further ado, let's get to pandemicking. Cult of Mac hears that the upcoming March event for Apple will be delayed indefinitely because of coronavirus and a lack of availability for the iPhone SE 2 or iPhone 9 or whatever you want to call it, or them as the case may be. Aren't rumors fun? 
Plus, Mac rumors suggest that we'll see a delay in Apple releasing a 5G iPhone due to the fact that 5G isn't really a thing in the US yet. Oh, and the coronavirus. Probably mostly the coronavirus. No, it's not. As analysts scrambled to try to explain why Apple won't release a 5G phone this year despite all the predictions saying it was inevitable, coronavirus is a fairly good excuse, even though anyone paying attention to Apple for the past, I don't know, three decades or so, could have made the same prediction, pandemic notwithstanding. I've been saying for almost a year now that Apple won't launch a 5G iPhone until 2021, and I am fully prepared to eat my words. Samsung launched a series of phones this past month, all of which had 5G capability, as opposed to just 5G variants. Does that open the door for Apple to follow suit? Possibly. Like many other things, I'll believe it when I see it. Meanwhile, analysts who predicted 2020 who would have been dead wrong, now at least they have an excuse. Speaking of Apple, the company recently updated its cleaning manuals, letting everyone know that disinfectant wipes are okay to use on the iPhone. Apple also suggests that you don't dunk your phone in a disinfectant bath, but honestly, if Apple needed to tell you that, don't you deserve it? Just a little. Anyway, if you are worried about how to keep the germs from your phone off your face, the simple answer is... Don't let anyone touch your phone, don't set it down on a table, and you keep all of your germs to yourself. But if you absolutely positively must clean your phone, go ahead and use a disinfecting wipe. Not to be outdone by his rival, Samsung is going a step further, or maybe a step back, I'm not really sure, by offering free disinfection of your phone through various retail outlets throughout the world. Samsung will reportedly use UV lights to bake that coronavirus right off your phone screen, which is great until the first time you touch something with your hands and then touch your phone again. Then you have to go back to the store and have it done again. And again. And again. You see where I'm going with this, right? Everyone... Just stay home, it's easier that way. And as the coronavirus keeps folks at home, Wuhan province implemented an e-learning program to help kids stay in school while at the same time staying the hell away from school. Wuhan teachers used an app called DingTalk, hey, I didn't name it, to distribute work and assignments to students to keep the propaganda, <clears throat> I mean, knowledge flowing. Well, it turns out kids in Wuhan hate school as much as everyone else. They might be a little more innovative as well, since they organized by the thousands to pepper Ding Talk with one-star reviews in an effort to drive down the ratings so far as to have it removed from the App Store. Well, no app, no homework, am I right? Well, it turns out they weren't right, despite the innovation and organization involved, and assuredly with bemused looks on their faces, the adults eventually took over and kept the app in the app store so homework could keep flowing. I, for one, would like to congratulate the students of Wuhan. You fought the good fight, and you will be remembered fondly. But there is some good news for Apple and bad news for those children in Wuhan. Apple stores in China will reopen on Friday as cases of the virus in China are now on the decline. It seems that they may have weathered the storm over there and good for them. And the epicenter of the contagion may be shifting outside of China and very likely settling into the EU, much of the chagrin of the EU and probably U.S. politicians as well. I mean, there's really no clear-cut bad guys in the EU, you see. Here in the U.S., we're just getting things started, which we'll talk more about about in our main story. Meanwhile, if you play Pokemon Go, the game's creator Niantic announced several changes to the game which will enable players to play their favorite game from home. I'll be honest, I don't understand all of these, but apparently Pokemon will spawn more all over the world and incense 
thingies, whatever you call them, will be super cheap to buy and will last an hour, which will draw more Pokemon to you, and that's nice, I guess, but isn't the whole point of the game to get out and exercise? It's cool that players can keep on playing, but overall, this just seems to cheapen the game quite a bit. But again, I won't play, so I won't judge. One of the major downsides to events getting cancelled due to the coronavirus is the internal strife that results from it. South by Southwest had to lay off a third of its staff after cancelling the event this year. Organizers behind events like MWC, E3, South by Southwest, and more all rely on these events to make money and pay staff, and even taking one year off puts a lot of jobs in jeopardy, which is quite sad. Naturally, canceling events like Google I.O. or Microsoft Ignite don't hurt nearly as bad because, you know, they have other revenue sources to fall back on. Whether or not these events will be able to return next year remains to be seen, but it honestly doesn't look good. And finally, the piece de resistance, we have our headline of the week coming from Bloomberg. Coronavirus conference gets cancelled because of coronavirus. The Council of Foreign Relations was scheduled to hold a roundtable discussion called Doing Business Under Coronavirus this past Friday. Well, it turns out the best way to do business is not to do business because the whole thing got called off due to coronavirus concerns. And honestly, how do you not see that coming? But we've talked enough about coronavirus, so let's take a short break to do some business, and then I'll come back and... Okay, fine. Talk more about coronavirus. Nothing quite like peeling that Band-Aid off nice and slow, huh? Tuning into my show is one of the best and cheapest ways that you can help me out. Just being there to listen, like an indifferent boyfriend sitting on the couch watching the Cubs game, is super important to me. But you can also help me out more directly by becoming a patron. For as little as $1 per month, you can get in on the ground floor of this podcast and help support the show. Plus, you'll get additional benefits like uncut interviews, bonus live shows, and so much more. Just go to patreon.com slash benefit of the Dowd. That's patreon.com slash benefit of the Dowd. And you can see all the different tiers that you can sign up for. And there are more great options for helping me out at benefitofthedowd.com slash support. That's benefitofthedowd.com slash support. You'll get a list of all my affiliations and monetization options all wrapped up in a neat little package at benefitofthedowd.com slash support. I hope you visit. I hope you become a patron. But as always, I thank you for listening. A lot of you may have heard about the coronavirus that is circling the globe like the Rolling Stones on their 17th farewell tour. Some of you have even noticed that it's kind of a big deal. So tonight, I want to take a look at why coronavirus was a big deal and why it might affect when you can buy your new iPhone. Or Android, but let's face it, statistically speaking, it's probably an iPhone. Now, before I go any further, I need to mention that there are several forces working against me regarding this piece. First... You won't be hearing it until the end of the month, and by then, a lot of what I'm about to say will have changed. But second, this week in particular, a lot of dominoes have fallen, and I've had to update and re-record this piece several times because of the new things that are happening. Well, finally, I'm saying enough is enough. I don't care what happens from now on. This is the final recording, and we're all going to be okay with that. Okay? Okay. Okay. 
Now, right off the bat, COVID-19, also known as the coronavirus, is a nasty bug that exhibits flu-like symptoms including coughing, dizziness, and shortness of breath. And it can be fatal in as much as 3% of cases depending on whose numbers you listen to. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, 3%? That's small. And if you feel that way, I invite you to send me $100 and I'll send back 97 No? Okay then, 3% is a massively high figure, around 20 times higher than flu-related deaths. So what does that mean for you? Well, as of right now, it kind of depends on where you live. If you live in the United States, it's getting a little dicey. If you're in Africa, you're actually pretty golden. Europe is starting to get dicey as well, and China and Japan are pretty much terrible right now, although China may have already suffered the worst of it and may actually now be on the mend. So what does this have to do with tech, you might be asking? Well, a lot, actually, and I'm not just talking about all the coronavirus PR pitches I'm getting, and seriously, stop that. And just a quick note here, a lot of this information is coming from Mike Isaac at the New York Times, link in the show notes, so a big shout out to Mr. Isaac. MWC was the first major casualty in the world of tech versus coronavirus. The trade show conference was entirely canceled in light of the coronavirus threat. A big reason for that is the fact that MWC expected around 100,000 people from 200 countries, and many of those people were coming from China, the original hotbed of the coronavirus. Meanwhile, Facebook canceled its annual advertising conference, and if Facebook is passing up on advertising, you know things are bad. Facebook also canceled its F8 conference, basically the Facebook equivalent of WWDC or Google I.O. Oh, and by the way, last week Google officially canceled Google I.O., and this week Apple canceled WWDC, and just what the hell? Speaking of travel, Amazon told employees not to travel domestically or internationally, so basically just don't travel, until further notice. I mean, obviously they can travel on their own time, but just not for work. Funny enough, in the meantime, shares of Zoom, the teleconferencing software company, have skyrocketed in the past week since a lot of people have suddenly started working from home. To counter that, both Google and Microsoft are offering their teleconferencing and remote work tools for free for the next six months. Me? I always work from home and I use Slack, so NBD. But it's not all trade shows and traveling. Products are being affected too. As I mentioned, China was ground zero for these infections. And you know what else China is ground zero for? Manufacturing. Both Apple and Microsoft have warned investors that products may not be available for people to buy their stuff. Speaking of which, China is a major consumer of Apple products and they're all sick now, so that's a double whammy for Apple. According to The Verge, Trendforce, who is a supply chain analytics provider, anticipates a 12% reduction in smartphone manufacturing and 16% drop in smartwatch manufacturing. Well, okay, smartwatches were probably going to go down anyway, but the smartphone drop will put it at its lowest point in the last five years. Next generation gaming consoles might be unaffected as long as the outbreak is mitigated to the end of Q1, which is less than 30 days away from the time of this recording. That's not going to happen. Now, pulling back and taking the entire world into account, USA Today talked to Mark Zandi, a chief economist at Moody Analytics. According to Zandi, he sees a modest hit to the economy, assuming coronavirus hits 100 to 150,000 infections. By the way, according to the World Health Organization, as of this recording, that has hit around 125,000 and we don't even have a vaccine yet. So what happens if we get worse? Zandi says, we're headed for a recession. The major fear is that outbreak scares will lead people to stay in and not spend, and that's bad for everyone. Unless, of course, you're a toilet paper company, because if that's the case, then you can pretty much print your own money these days. 
All that being said, we're drifting away from tech, so let's write that ship. What can we expect to see going forward? In terms of tech events, we can expect to see pretty much zero until probably fall. Let's go with the best case scenario. Let's say they find a cure tomorrow. We're definitely going to see a shortage of technology for some time as facilities that were previously shut down start to ramp up again. It takes a long time to slap those components together and ship them, etc. But on the positive side, Apple is reopening all of its stores in China this week, so we'll see. But what will we see farther in the future? I don't know. Google I.O. is gone. WWDC is gone. E3 is gone. Sports are gone. Some cities have banned gatherings larger than 250 people, which on some days is a fairly packed Red Lobster. Meanwhile, you could follow all the action on isitcanceledyet.com, and that's canceled with one L, BT dubs. But the big questions remain. Why are all these events being canceled? Why can't I buy toilet paper except when I camp out at Target when it opens at 7 a.m.? Why is my wife, the school teacher, suddenly working from home and telelearning her students? And the honest answer here is, it's an overreaction. And that's pretty much okay. Now, I'm not advocating that everyone start hoarding food and bottled water and toilet paper and hiding under their blankets because that's stupid. This is a pandemic. And as far as pandemic goes, it has a fairly low mortality rate. Put into perspective, the Spanish flu killed anywhere between 3 to 5% of the world while COVID-19 kills 3% of those infected. That's a huge difference. America right now is erring on the side of caution to try to curb the spread of this disease as much as possible, and that's perfectly fine. From a tech perspective, it means we don't get demonstrations of pretty glowing rectangles, and we get a press release instead, and that's perfectly fine as well. Most tech reviewers, myself included, work from home anyway, so you'll still get your YouTube videos, and of course, you'll still get your podcasts. But for now, all we can do is wash our hands a lot and pray that this thing gets squared away as soon as possible so that we can all go back to being miserable and afraid because it's an election year rather than miserable and afraid of invisible bugs. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. I'd like to thank my co-producer, Clifton M. Thomas, for all of his hard work behind the scenes. And most importantly, folks, and of course, this advice is coming two weeks late, so we'll see what things are like when the show actually releases. But for now, stay inside if you can. Stay safe. It's not just safe for you. It's safe for everybody. Your tech will still be there when the coronavirus is long dead. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening, and I thank you for giving me the benefit of the doubt.